I want to share an issue with you that I feel is compelling. Oh, thank you. I feel like it is in Dune. I should be able to reabsorb this somehow. Uh, Okay, that's a shout-out to all the sci-fi readers. I want to share an issue that I feel is compelling and very, very important. And I know you may not think it applies directly to you, and so I'm asking for your ear and compassion in allowing me to deliver a message that is directed to us all but concerns a particular group. And this issue grew out of my conversations with the middle schoolers in our religious school. And I really feel like it's um, the main issue with our middle school kids. Now for several years, and they're coming to me and sharing with me. And it's two parts. First, their main way of describing their life to me is stress. And second, the main thing that they want to tell me is that they don't believe in God. And what they mean, as we know, is that we teach the Bible stories and teach them prayers, and they don't believe in the water splitting at the sea and standing up like in the movies, and they don't believe that God is speaking out of a cloud to Moses. And I think our main pivot line, as a longtime religious school leader myself and teacher in the past, is I would say it's a wonderful thing that you don't have to believe in God to be Jewish. That's been our pivot. While profound to the generations of the children and grandchildren of Jewish immigrants to this country, for whom the holidays and culture and ethics of Judaism were the essence, we must wonder whether this seemingly brilliant solution hasn't contributed to the declining synagogue attendance and affiliation. But even something more worrisome. Today, more than ever, I've witnessed, especially in the middle school groups, but also elementary and definitely high school and beyond. They are really beset with anxiety, with self-doubt, and despair about the future. And it has been accentuated like so many things and brought to the fore by the pandemic. They're suffering. They've been traumatized. And we have to ask ourselves, was our explanation of Judaism without God really what was best for them or what was best for us? Do they need God? They need God now more than ever, possibly in a way previous generations in America did not. Every year we think at Beth Israel about whether there's something vital we want to add to the curriculum in Beth Israel Religious School. We want to make it better. We want to make that better. We want the kids, you know, to learn prayers and teach parts of history, of course. But we often want to also ask, is there one thing that we're not teaching enough that we need to focus on? A couple of years ago, it was Jewish diversity and inclusion, really taking on how different Jews look and are, Jews of color, Jews of different identification along different spectrums, different countries, different social classes, different gender and queer identifications. And last year, it was anti-Semitism, and it wasn't easy material. We had a special unit really focusing on anti-Semitism and where it comes from historically. Sometimes I assume they know. They have no idea. For this year, it's going to be a relationship with God for our children because they need it. In today's Torah reading and this afternoon's again, we have what we call a priestly reading of God in the Holiness Code, Leviticus. We may think that, well, there are only two ways to think about God. There's the literal meaning of God or the literal reading of the text, 
And then there's maybe something that's metaphorical, usually metaphorical is a word that tends to be reductionistic to something like general values. But neither of those is really the way our ancestors viewed the Torah. When we read through sources that are not priestly, like the J source and the source that we read on Rosh Hashanah, the connection with God is one of covenant. It's one of interpersonal relationships. It's one of what my name stands for, what I stand for, what my family stands for, and a key part of the Avodah service that's coming up shortly in Musaf. And it's one of the commitments to what we stand for in the future. And in today's reading from Leviticus, we encounter the priestly sense of God, with which our relationship to God is one of aligning with the order of the universe. There's an order of harmony and of peace where moral values are as real as physical values. There's a sense of holiness and there's a sense of mystery. Harmony, imbalance, tiferet, chesed, and gevura, love and accountability and harmony. And in that harmony, mixtures of light and darkness which make up reality. And in that harmony, even though sometimes it is disrupted by injustice, the justice is never absent. And our relationship with God is one of continual invitations to align with it by channeling holiness to bring balance. In the holiness code that we read today, the reality of bringing balance to our lives, to our society, and to the world is real. It speaks of our relationship with nature, and specifically with our taking of animal life for food in the chapters preceding what we just read. And it specifies how that is done, with what awareness and spirituality and connection to nature, to food, to living things. And it has to spell, because that relationship has the power to dispel the alignment of nature, the world, of ecology, and of ourselves, or to bring us in alignment with it. It specifies that atonement and changing our ways have a Yom Kippur ritual that is communal and encompasses everyone. With absolute inclusion, we achieve a shift in the cosmic balance. But with only individual processes, the universe does not come into alignment. We are prone to self-centeredness and social scapegoating. It specifies that how we conduct our intimate lives is not just a matter of ancient codes, but in those actions, and I mean our intimate lives, I mean our sexual lives. In those actions hidden from public view, we have vast effects on the cosmic and social pond, bringing about tikkun or about shattering, not only of hearts and lives, but the balance of the world. And this afternoon, we read the continuation that each of the words we speak can be either creative acts that introduce a new loving event into the universe or a destructive act that literally robs the universe and others the possibility of dignity and of wholeness and of ourselves. It is the priestly God who created the universe by speaking. And in by speaking, the sound brings the order. And so we do in every sound, in every word that we utter. For the priestly source for whom God is not physical, but a word for the holy cosmic living system in which we dwell, we can, we can bring it into alignment or out of alignment with a word. We have this idea of miracles, but miracles for the priestly source are not interruptions of nature. They're translated more accurately as signs. How do we work with the signs that the universe provides? 
not the water standing up in walls, but in the signs, the signs that we connect with. How am I out of touch with the universe? How can I connect to it in a way in which I feel full and at peace? I feel shalom. I feel I hear what needs to be heard, as the prophetic reading from anonymous Isaiah called to us today. So many parts of Judaism, the service, and particularly this morning, aligns with this position. It's an embrace of God and, in a sense, the universe. Not the God over there, but God as the pond in which we are all swimming and sharing. A universe of signs and invitations, a sense that God's not a thing, but the very process of the universe in which we are a part. And our own spirit is a part of that process, and God speaks through continual invitations. And as we leave our baggage behind and start the year with a new slate, we open ourselves up to God, to the signs and the invitations, the power of creating a new life in the coming year, and a new society. Is that what our teens are feeling? Is that what you are feeling? I asked our teens this past Sunday what they were feeling, where their mental space was at. Nearly everyone said anxiety and stress. That life is just a lot of work that they're trying to keep up with. And when I asked them what they saw for their future, what they're looking forward in the next step, whether it's high school or college, they said they see it as just more work they won't be able to finish. One teen went in a different direction. They said, actually, I don't feel that way. I am really enjoying my extracurricular activity. So when I asked them, when we went around for the second round, I asked them what they were looking forward to in their future. They said, they're really looking forward to high school when um, they won't make the team because then they'll have time for all the homework and responsibilities that they can't just seem to get to right now. (laughs) Can't have play. Too much serious stuff to get to. That's my inner voice is saying. One of the outlets, only outlets, our teens have is their phones and social media, especially over the pandemic. But is this tool really the spiritual technology they need? Or is it a different kind of voice that is shared with it and comes out of it that promises what is to not deliver? At night, we're supposed to raise our children into ourselves, saying the Shema, along with a prayer called the Hashkivenu. And the Hashkivenu says, may we all be able to go to sleep under a protective shield of God, in which presumably, because it says in our going and our coming, presumably in dreams, right? The activity of our psyche. May we be spared of Satan, Satan, which in Jewish tradition is a voice in your head. It's the voice that says, tomorrow's going to be terrible. The teacher said, um, that was due yesterday, but they didn't give me the instructions for it. So I'm pretty sure it's not due yesterday because I think they're going to give us time today, but I just don't know. It's they're worried about whether they're going to have anyone to sit with at lunch because it says, may the Satan voice not enter, bringing fear, sadness, worry of the enemies I will face tomorrow. The Satan voice also comes up, of course, at Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Because as I said with the shofar, the whole idea is what we're trying to do is find our inner voice in the celestial process of judgment where God is both judge and defense attorney and God's trying to say, speak your truth, but Satan's voice comes in. It comes from you. And it's like, nah, Nadav's not going to exercise this year. 
The Dov's still going to have a short temper within his wife. The Dov's still going to uh, work late um, and miss dinner yet again, right? Because, I mean, how am I going to get to all this work? What am I going to do? Right? People are counting on me. What do they think of me? If I let someone down, maybe they talk to people. And the Satan voice interferes, and the shofar blows to drown it out, the inner voice. It's the voice that came up in the Garden of Eden, the Satan voice that says, you know what? Maybe there's a different way to go. Trust me. If you follow my instructions, everything will be all right. And as I talked about on Rosh Hashanah, we find our addictions, right? It'll be, you'll feel temporarily better. So is social media really good for our kids? I'm going to hope, good, I'm glad Marav isn't here. After the, um, uh, so if you're watching this later, fast forward. So, so you know, we went through the, the pandemic pretty holed up because of Lynn's dad who lives with us. Uh, it was 96, et cetera, et cetera. And so we homeschooled for much of it until they uh, entered back into school. And one of Rob's first friends, I was so excited. I, I don't want to tell you about her because I don't want to embarrass her in any way. Um, talk about the diversity of our school district. I mean, I mean uh, Muslim, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I would go on. Um, fantastic. Her closest friend is Muslim. We're so happy. And, and, and so I carpooled her because they didn't have a car. And so when I picked them up to, uh, to take them to school, um, and Marav was so excited to see her, the first thing she would do is, now dad's not seeing, put her in the car, get out the phone. And then she starts communicating with her friends with whom she communicated during the pandemic. My daughter doesn't have a phone. She probably will have, I'm, I'm not so holy and high. I'm sure I'll give in at some point. But I think it generates satan voices. I think it generates voices that I can't be present because I'm distracted with something that gives me temporary relief. University of Michigan researcher Ethan Cross's 2021 book is called Chatter. And it is the book that I recommend everybody at the synagogue read. And it is the inspiration for the rest of what I have to say. In Chatter, Ethan Cross connects our mental health And it's not about kids or teens. It's about us, to the voice in our heads. There are two kinds of self-talk we engage in. One is positive, and I'm not talking about self-esteem. In my terminology, one is the voice that connects us harmoniously in the system. And in Ethan's terminology, one is connected with their executive function. One is connected. There are all kinds of ways of understanding it. It is a relationship, this is me, not Ethan, with God through your inner voice. And the other is chatter. It is noise, it is negativity, and if it goes too far, it becomes clinical anxiety. Our mind is hijacked by it. As I wrote in my college, as my college senior yearbook quote, we ignore God and fill our heads with trash. That's from Wilka. Chatter is an anxious voice. It's a voice that paralyzes one in in its anxiety of all that needs to be done. It's a voice of perfectionism, a feeling that one just cannot live up to what is expected of us. It's the downside, as the Garden of Eden story reflects, of evolution. Evolution gives a gift to the human species at a not-so-distant point in our past, that of an inner voice that animals do not have. It comes in the way we reflect on it in the Garden of Eden. But that gift comes with with strings attached. 
It can also be hijacked by worry and stress, by the Satan voice. And when it is, we cannot function. Benjamin Sommer, one of the greatest of our conservative Jewish theologians, or theologians in general, and I honor him for leaving, well, mainstream academia to teach and train rabbis at the Jewish Theological Seminary. He writes that people miss a very important grammatical feature of when God speaks to Moses in the tent of meeting. It's easy to miss because the word vayidaber sounds like, and God spoke. Like, and it would be the same word like you and I speak. So it's just speaking. It's like a voice in the tent is speaking. But in this God speaking, when Moses is hearing God directly, they add an extra dot in the, do, in the dalit. So rather than vayidaber being in the PL conjugation, the normal word for speaking, the mapik in the dalit changes the conjugation to hitpa'el, alters its meaning from the everyday kind of normal speaking that our kids don't believe is happening to a reciprocal action, a speaking that goes back and forth between two parties. If you do the same thing to the word kotev, to write, you get the word corresponding back and forth, not writing one to the other. It's exchanging. And so how does this change the meaning the communication that goes back and forth between God and Moses, our relationship with God is not one of passive listening to an external voice. It's a relationship of dialogue, of communing with the voice inside. In other words, this would translate as Moses hearing the voice continually speaking to him and forming a relationship with that voice. It's called the tent of meeting, not the tent of dictation. What if we taught our middle school students or high school students that the relationship with God is not a relationship to the wall standing up as water in the movie, but the relationship with God is the relationship to their inner voice. And like the priestly source that is, couldn't be more present today, it's their relationship with their connection to the pond in which we're all living and they are, where the ripples are reciprocal and the messages that sent are being received. And the relationship is communing relationship with their inner voice. Could we teach them? Could we teach ourselves, as Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel pointed out in God in Search of Man? The whole question of whether God spoke out of the sky or spoke in Moses' head misses the point. The point is that a thought came to Moses that there was an entirely different way to live. And as Heschel says, a new creative event came into the universe to bring the universe into creative balance. What made the voice holy is that this thought through the voice, entered history. And that's what makes it revelation. How do we cultivate that, that voice? We also have a voice that comes with God. We have a relationship that comes to God. Why is Torah study one of our greatest spiritual exercises? In the books that I put out that are Jewish 12-step books written by rabbis on Rosh Hashanah, one of them um, says, Rabbi Paul Steinberg's, that two of the 12-step steps have to be Torah study. Because the only way to get the negative voice, the addiction voice out of your head, is to practice Torah study, preferably with another person. What's the word saying? What comes back to me? What's the most important thing and questions I'm going on with? What are the signs coming forth from here? What are the signs coming from my life to make it make sense? Torah study is cultivating a relationship with your inner voice, with God. In Ethan Cross's book, he has so many ways of limiting the chatter voice to cultivate the positive voice. One is I-thou relationships. 
He believes that social media and phones are really just ways like addictions that we externalize our chatter and we read other people's chatter. And it is not surprising that so many uh, psychiatrists and therapists who are working with our young these days have success when they ask them to put them away. Because often the messages they get back are messages of support that actually support their addictions, support their not eating, support their cutting, supporting the behavior we're trying to avoid. I-thou relationships require presence. They require, we need to be teaching our kids this. What does it mean to be practicing chesed, to be actively listened? Ethan Cross says that one of the reasons we say so much negative chatter is because we feel no one's listening. And we say it over and over again, and you know what it does? It scares people away. It's such a cry of empathy that we just can't hear the complaining anymore. And so, like Satan would say, just try this, it'll make you feel better. Oh, you're coming back to me, I love you. We'll be fine together. Ethan Cross says you should have an I-thou relationship with yourself. And Lynn has been teaching me from the book to practice this because I have enormous amounts of anxiety. I have it right now. I can't even think about it because I'll run out the door. So um, (laughs) she said, just tell yourself, not I can do this, I can do this. You've done this before. Treat yourself as a thou. Not you, you got this is a little too simple. You've done Yom Kippur before. You've done it with no sleep. You've done it with fasting. You've done it convinced that you're giving the wrong Devar Torah because people will be like, was that about kids? Uh, It's not me, right? You've done it before. You've gotten up there. You've spoken your truth. It's been okay, right? So, like, talk to yourself. Interestingly, the Hashkivenu prayer, protect me from the Satan voice, says, God, grant me good advice. I think it says in the English translation, wise counsel. Give yourself that counsel, Give others wise counsel to drown out the voice. He says that we do it through ritual. As I said last night, a process over time of infusing a project with values. Not, what do I do with my freedom? What do I do with my freedom tonight? Do I do a homework? Do I practice my cello? Right? Do I prepare my lesson plan? Do I go to bed early because I'm not getting enough sleep? Right? Uh, do I, I forgot to eat a vegetable? <laughs> Am I sharing with you my chatter? Okay, forget about that. <laughs> Lynn, can you pick up carrot juice at Trader Joe? Because my veg, thank you, already did already. What replaces it? Infusing a project with values over time. What do you think the bar bat mitzvah is? It's a process by which we train the voice. That you'll be okay when you get to the end of it. Because it's not about one moment. It's about the whole journey. And ritual in general. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a way of replacing the inner voice, cultivating a different voice, a voice that talks about peace and kindness and blessing. Sometimes we just need a different voice, music, to take us to that place of harmony with the universe. I'll share two more. One is play. Professor Cross says that play scares away the negative voice. I can't tell you how much I'm canceling play because my kids need something. I can't tell you how often I cancel me playing because I feel I have other things that are pressing to do. I want you to take a few seconds of silence 
I want you to think about one way you're going to bring play into your life this year. Playfulness. Straight up play. That aligns with the voice. Just think about it. We don't make time for play because it's things to check off our list. We make it because it helps us cultivate voice of God and living in the present moment. And finally, through service. I may not feel like I'm good enough to be this. My team may not feel they're good enough to be that. I'm not as good as others. But I embrace that in my profession, I'm talking about you. Please replace my with you. If as a doctor, as a teacher, as a grandparent, as a great-grandparent, as a son or a daughter, as a friend at my workplace, if I am serving God when I'm serving those that I use my freedom to choose to serve, it doesn't matter how I compare to others. Because I have wholeness just in the sense of that it's good enough that I am serving because the God voice of High Holy Days is that that's the defense attorney Why is it not good enough for you that you are serving others and you're serving me by serving them? So this is a little bit about what we're going to do this year. I'm a little scared because I'm afraid I'm going to have a big failure. I'm going to expand our Journeys program, the Journeys to the Bar by Mitzvah program, into many more sessions than I've done before because I always feel like I'm wasting everybody's time and everybody's too busy and everyone really needs to get to their chores and the other things on their list, and I don't want to add to their anxiety or their stress, and so I've limited the number of sessions, and this year I'm expanding them. And the whole focus is on going to be helping our kids, helping them, and some of those sessions are just going to be for the parents, helping our kids find a relationship with their inner voice and with God through Jewish spiritual technology and not mechanical technology. And I think I have a leg up in this because one of the parents in our Journeys program this year is Ethan Cross. So when I get things wrong, I can say, Ethan, um, i got to go to a shiva right now. You take it away from me. Just teach something from your book. And that was not by design. Like, that was really a synchronicity. I'm going to spend more time with our teenagers like I've been doing in the past couple of weeks. And what that's going to mean is this. I may not be at that board meeting because I'm with them. I may not be returning your phone call or your email on time because I'm with them. And honestly, I don't know if I'm going to totally fail, but I know that I'm trying to serve God and I'm trying to serve them. And that has to be good enough because I want to show them that forget saying I don't believe in God, you need this relationship with God. And Judaism is full of the spiritual technology that's going to help you achieve it. And let's practice some of this. And finally, for us adults, and I'm also nervous it's going to be a big failure, Right? That's Satan. Probably will be. (laughs) But if you do 500 chores I have in mind for you, maybe you can prevent the failure. (laughs) Chatter, 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 chatter. I'm going to form three groups that I invite people to join, but if you join the groups, you have to be joining as in a Musar group. You have to join because you're agreeing for as long as you're in your group to practice what we're doing. One group is going to be on prayer. One group will be on ethics, like the kind of stuff the Alchets were talking about, and one will be on God, your relationship with God. And what we'll do is we'll meet like once a month. There won't be lots of text study. It'll be practices that we're introducing. And so we'll say at the end of it, we'll say, Gary, 
I know, how did your month go where we were practicing this? Because I've seen Gary in, in, in Musar groups before, so I know it's a fair thing to say. How is, I know that maybe prayer wasn't this thing for you before, but with what you've tried, where are you at with it? Let's, let's add practical holiness into this spiritual technology. Let's use it and see where we would get. So once a month, we'll meet as a group. We'll catch up what people did before. We'll, have, we'll share where our directions are so that all of us can increase and improve upon our relationship with God but through our inner voice. The universe is crying out to us that we need to be working on our relationship with God through our inner voices, and that Judaism is a spiritual technology to achieve it. Beth Israel and those in this community need to make this work our own for the coming year, and then we can achieve what the priests wish for us in the priestly blessing, that we have a very real sense of how we live a life of blessings, a sense of grace, that we have all we need, that we are never really alone, and that we have shalom in our hearts and in our heads.